Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Greetings and felicitations. Hip, hip, hoorah, tally ho. Hey, my little Georgia peach. Hey, Puddin'. Let's talk about Starlog Magazines, issue number three and four. We've had great time reviewing these and looking over, picking up some fond memories. This is another one that I, you know, loved the cover because it, it was an artist rendition of Star Trek. Starlog, issue number three. The cover date is January 1977. The title, Sci-Fi Comics News. Fantastic color photos. So we're going to talk about the non-Star Trek articles in this issue. We'll cover all the Star Trek articles on our next episode of Star Pod Trek. But the color gallery, Spaceship Designs, Progress Reports, Six Million Dollar Man, 40 Sci-Fi Movies Made for TV, Space 1999, and Latest News, Film, Television, Books, Records. So it does say Star Log Magazine, first page, number three, the magazine of the future, from the bridge. Starting a new magazine like Star Log is a little like performing a trapeze act in your pitch blackness. You do everything as well as you possibly can and hope with all your life that somebody else is out there in darkness ready to grab your wrists. After all, until you actually assemble a magazine, distribute it across the country, wait for letters and sales reports to tell you what the reaction was, you have to wonder if maybe you're the only person in the world who can really enjoy this kind of thing. You hope, but you're not sure. Well, that's why the letters we've been receiving the last few months have been especially important. We've heard that Starlog is the kind of magazine I've always wished for. We've heard... I'm so glad you don't talk down to your readers. We've heard, So relieved you take science fiction seriously. We've heard criticisms and suggestions too, but generally we've learned that Starlog is on target. That what we want to do is in line with what you want us to do. And and that's what Starlog does. I mean, like I've always felt like they know exactly what I want to read, which is so cool. Absolutely. And this was written by David Houston, the editor-in-chief. And, and, of course, they i mean—they had other editors later, but he was the one they had then. But right from the beginning, this magazine resonated with readers, right from the get-go. And they continued on. Next page, we have an ad, the very best reading in or out of this world. Ten, uh, I'm sorry, four books for ten cents with membership. Books like The Imperial Earth, Epic, the 1976 annual World's Best Science Fiction. Not a bad deal. <coughs> then we go into the latest news from the worlds of science fiction. Log entries. So the news, January 1977. Next from MGM, Timescape. Saul David, who brought us Logan's Run, is hard at work on a new film, Timescape. More miniaturization. Jerry Zietman, who was just completed filming Damnation Alley, has announced that among 
his future projects while a movie to be called Cold War. I mean, I don't remember any of these. <laughs> no, this is newsworthy items, though. I mean, this is our internet back then. <laughs> yes, and I mean, and I suppose the people who saw a lot of movies back then, I mean, I didn't because my parents didn't take me to movies, but I mean, yeah, there there are still, there are some sci-fi movies out then, even, even these that are long forgotten. Inframan, the Shaw Brothers, producers of many of the kung fu action flicks, have moved into sci-fi and comic realm with their new Inframan. In the name of science. In a laudable attempt to curb rising trends toward mysticism, occultism, a large group of highly respected scientists have formed a committee to investigate claims of paranormal and other phenomena, which will publish a journal, the Zetiac. I probably mispronounced that. The, yeah, the Zetetic, which I, I, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know what they, they probably got that name from something, but um, yeah, I thought this looks interesting. I mean, reading it now, it looks interesting, and I'm like, hmm, I mean, I missed that before <laughs> when this issue first came out. Like, that sounded like, yeah, something that might be interesting to read. But I like that, the fact that Starlog, uh, it, it, it's not just science fiction. It's the world of science fact as well. We know that later on, Future Life magazine came out, branched out of Starlog, but this just reinforces what an awesome magazine Starlog is and how re, uh, you can reread it and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, they were able to find you know, like all this information that people di- didn't know about. But I mean, but how did you know? Like even even their writers, like how did they find out these things? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just interesting that they were able to uh, to find and report on this stuff. And it's said that the the magazines, it was almost a branch of the Humanist and Science News. Forty members of the new committee, such as Carl Sagan and Anthony Flew, L. Sprague de Camp, Philip Class, they are all contributing to this. So I've been looking for back issues of it, and I can't find it. But I'm sure we'll find it one of these days. Yeah, if somebody still, you know, kept any of their old copies, yeah. Oh, or if they want to sell them. Uh, United Artists, Carrie. The latest release of parapsychological thriller Carrie, starring in the title role Sissy Spacek, and as Carrie's mother, Piper Laurie. The story is about a pretty high school girl who is victimized both by her schoolmates and by her fan- fanatically religious mother. Yeah, of course I do remember that movie. I never saw it, but I know I saw the trailers on TV when that one came out. New 20th Century Releases 20th Century Fox has postponed release dates again for all three of its new sci-fi productions. Originally scheduled for early 1977, Star Wars is now slated for limited release in 70mm format in 10 key cities across the country next November, with general release to follow in December. One source did suggest a Memorial Day release. No one is making any promises, though. Damnation Alley, starring Jan Michael Vincent, George Pappard, and Dominique Sanda, is now released in March 1977. The screenplay evidently differs totally from the Zelansi story. 
now sounds like something closer to Death Race 2000, but the information is still scanty. Ralph Bakshi's newest animated flick, War Wizards, is due in town sometime in February. This is interesting that, still at this time, Star Wars is just a few lines in the news logs. There's nothing big deal about it. I mean, it has a smaller, actually has a smaller blurb than Carrie does. It is interesting the way they reported on Star Wars back then, because they didn't know it would be a huge movie. Mm -hmm. And remember when we were looking through our old Star Logs, trying to find a cover story about about the original Star Wars, and there it was like after the fact. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like they had to catch up with it. No one really expected it to be that big. Uh, by the time Empire came out, then they started doing multiple covers right. on it. Yes. Flash Gordon lives. Talks about the original Buster Crab. How excited he was to talk to fans. New Forbidden Planet soundtrack. So advertising that the coming up soundtrack will, will be released. Communications. Now we have the letters pages. It, it, it's kind of funny how a lot of these letters are all looking for more star logs because they were selling out. And the direction was, well, tell your newsstand to order more next time. Oh, that's what you were supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> but Starlog was selling back issues, so that was good news. You had to order them, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. Here's one comment. Just a few words to comment on your second issue of Starlog. The article and photo section devoted to Space 1999 was fantastic. In the future, I would like to see more articles, more color photos, character profiles, and backgrounds on Space 1999. And there's a few Space 1999 fan letters here. So we see Starlog did respond this uh, next, this issue in the next issue is going to have some more Space 1999 content, which is perfect was, for the yeah, time. It was a great show back then. It was very popular. And, and but and for Starlog, I like how they always um, answered the people's. You know, they would put the letter here, and then the and then the answer from the editor or some kind of, you know, explanation. I mean, that was cool. The way they always. Um, Took the time to reply. I mean, so you know that they're actually reading the letters. Mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Library. So this is the section talking about new books coming out, such as Imperial Earth, more from Isaac Asimov, new Doubleday Productions, a Beast book by John Crowley. And then there's a half-page ad for Solaris. It's a Russian movie, but the ad is very strange how it's laid out. Like when it, it it doesn't even make sense. You have to see it because the words are all kind of jumbled together. A sci-fi jewel, wondrously beautiful, astonishing masterpiece, dazzling, imaginative, work of high order, awesome production values that bear comparison to those of 2001, mind-boggling. Solaris is finally an unabashedly romantic work. In, in the picture, it's got a man carrying a woman who's unconscious. Kind of reminds me of a vampire. It does look like <laughs> it, the picture. Newsflash from film to comics and back again. 
Now, I like this article because it talks about how there are science fiction films that in the 70s it was popular to expand on the storylines and put them into comic form. You're saying thing, something started out as a movie and then went to comics? Other yes. things started out as comics and went, went to movies. Yeah, so previously in Starlog, they talked about comic book heroes going to the movies, and this is talking about the reverse in this issue. So uh, we look at Logan's Run. We have those. Which was a movie first. Exactly. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, War of the Worlds. Uh, this wasn't produced uh, or I should say that the Star Wars comics didn't come out yet by the time of this press, but we know that that was a huge success. And I I love movie and TV based comics. I mean, it adds something to it, right? It I mean, they both um, enhance your enjoyment of the other. And especially during this time period, I know for myself, like you know, we grew up obviously didn't have VCRs. VCR didn't become a common thing to the mid-80s. But whenever I got a comic book adaption of a movie, it was the closest thing that I could do to rewatch the movie. I mean, it was great to get the comic, and then you could, like, go over the dialogue again. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they were just like the movie, so so it was a good way to, to remember, oh, yeah, because... I knew they said that. I was trying to remember the exact words. You know, yeah. those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why comics were great. And, and, and of course, this article talks about Star Wars. As you said, like, it says they're, they're, um, writing the Star Wars comic, and it's a combination of 20th Century Fox and Marvel comics at work on it. And this has been going on for years, more so with TV. It mentions the Gold Key comics from Star Trek. Yes. Which was pretty big. Yes. Lost in Space. Gold Key and Dell were spearheading picking up licenses from movies and TV. And this is something that that's still going on today, which I mean they're making comics out of out of every TV show nowadays. So I like how the end paragraph says, So be on the lookout, science fiction fans. If you miss the movies, pick up on the comics. Or if you miss the comic adaptions, catch the movies. On guard and good hunting. Now we have a section. 40 movies. Science fiction films made for TV. Now, I like made-for-TV movies. I look forward to them when, when they happen, when, when I was younger. Because I was like you. My parents didn't always bring me to the movies. But if something was repeated on TV... I would be excited watching it. Usually it was that Sunday night special. And if there was a made-for-TV movie, I loved it. I loved that format. I watched some of them because, you know, you know how I said before, I always read the TV guide. Mm-hmm. So if they, if they advertised a movie I was interested in, I mean, yeah, I was there to watch it. Article starts out by saying, The movie made-for-television format is in many ways ideal for science fiction. In minimizing spectacle, the small screen emphasizes the intellectual, the emotional, the personal, while a 50-foot-wide, 70-millimeter picture discourages the use of close-ups and, consequently, dialogue. Television's tabletop picture requires frequent close-ups for clarity. Contrary to popular belief, television is the more intellectual, idea-oriented medium, the more literary medium. True, not all theatrical movies are devoid of ideas, and not all TV shows are literate. 
But the potentials are there, built in. The sci-fi TV movie format is still in its infancy. It hasn't really caught on yet, but it will. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting interpretation, that TV is more intellectual. Well, I know that with television, they can make things that would reach a smaller audience. It would be a smaller budget, and it would be totally doable. Whereas with, with movies, they're looking for the most widest appeal in order to make up for the money it takes. And, and especially for sci-fi, I mean, for for, for uh, TV movies that, that were science fiction in some way, they were lower budget. So, I mean, people weren't really expecting um, as big special effects for for their TV movies, and so that kind of helped them have the lower budget. But but it but yeah, but then with a lower budget, it would probably would have to be a more compelling story to get people to watch it. I like how it shows the photo of Lee Majors. Remember, early on, Six Million Dollar Man, it was a series of made for TV movies. And I don't think I saw them back then. I mean, because I, wa- I started watching it when it was a series. But, that, yeah, that would have been neat. Did you see those movies? When it came out, no. Okay, yeah. No, but later on, I, I ended up doing it. And it gives other examples, such as Questar tapes. There's... Which I saw because that was Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Frankenstein. The place of uh, the Bionic Woman. They put it in that time slot. So it was, you know, real easy. And, and of course, and I knew that they were going to do that, and I was excited about seeing Wonder Woman. And even before that, I think this, like, this article didn't have that other picture of Kathy Lee Crosby. You know, you know, there was a Wonder Woman movie mm-hmm. with Kathy Lee Crosby, and I watched that several times because they, you know, they replayed it like every few years on TV, and it was great. I just loved mm-hmm. it. And this also has a complete guide oh, to here science fiction. Yeah, here it is. A complete guide to science fiction films made for TV. And there's Wonder Woman with Kathy Lee Crosby, Planet Earth, Gargoyle, what they are, Demon Demon, Death in Space, Night Slaves. <laughs> Do you remember any of these? Um, I think these these were probably a little before my time. They were probably oh, a little too mature too, for me. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like even in, in watching on DVD or on Netflix, I don't even remember seeing any of these uh, come back again. I'm sure if I dug deep enough. I mean, unless it was Wonder Woman or the ones that Gene Roddenberry did, which we'll talk about later, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this one looks pretty good. I'd like to look it up. Planet Earth. That's Gene Roddenberry. I saw that you one. See, yeah, I never saw that. <laughs> I missed that one. You know, there was another one that was on, I mean, it was that time or just a few just a few years later, I know it was 70s, but there was a TV movie called The Lathe of Heaven. It, it was really it. Good. It good. Yeah. Future conventions. Here's a listing of various conventions. And when we say Starlog was our internet, this was a key component, finding out when conventions would happen. Such as SpringCon in Washington, D.C., Archon in Orlando, Florida. We're seeing a, 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 a pattern. Philcon in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, Chattacon. Guess where Chattacon is? That's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> it's that, still that's running. still going on now. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing, isn't it? But the funny thing is that that was the pattern oftentimes was wherever the convention was they'd use that city in the name well they still do that a lot of times i mean i mean like 
you know, com- Comic Cons are all named after the city, like New York Comic Con, that kind of thing. And 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 but back in these days, Starlog didn't put uh, who the guests were at the cons. Here it is, a key story: the Dream Machines, seventy-five years of movie and TV spaceships. And so it goes back to 1865, Jules Verne's From Earth to the Moon. And we're, we're looking back at, this time it was 75 years, now it's over 100 years. But before Star Trek, virtually everything was flying saucers and rockets. And that's very noticeable, too. Um, like even watching the old Outer Limits, where they had the, the little flying saucers. And, and that first movie, the 1902 movie, had the flying saucer. Or a rocket. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and the rocket looks like a penis. <laughs> <laughs> but we're looking at Flash Gordon, this island Earth. Remember when we went to that panel at uh, Wonderfest? Yes. The creator of the Millennium Falcon. I can't remember the guy's name now, but originally he said the Millennium Falcon was supposed to look like the Eagle ships. And yes. Then, and then once Space 1999 came out, George Lucas said, we got to scrap this idea. And that's when he looked at his hamburger and saw the burger with the onion on, uh, <laughs> olive on it. That's when he said, we need to make something like this. So I, I mean, mean, you can get ideas from yeah. anywhere, yeah. Yeah, but that, that, <laughs> yeah. That, that, those, that was the ships of the time, either long or circular. Yeah, so they wanted mm-hmm. to do something else or something off-centered even. <laughs> Space 1999, Starlog's complete guide to the second season continues in this issue with data on six shows just completed in London, which this must have been fantastic for fans at that time to have this data on a show that was current. It had um a list of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, where else could you get that back then? And, and yeah, if you're watching the show, I mean, this is just what you want to see. So you can see, like, uh, which ones, which episodes you haven't seen yet. And then a review of, of the ones that you did see. And you can go back and read this summary. And maybe you'll pick up something that you didn't catch when you watched it before. I mean, all of these things were just, you know, like I said, it's like Starlog knew what we wanted to read back then. Advertisement for back issues of Starlog magazine. Issue number one was five dollars. Two and three were two fifty each. Oh, and they and they went way up later. <laughs> yeah. Lee Majors, the six million dollar man. Love this article because it talks about Lee Majors getting the job as the six million dollar man. Because we were both six million dollar man fans. Yeah, and um, I like this interview, too. So it, it made him out to be a pretty nice guy and interesting. And, of course, in it, you know, and he uh, he was on um, The Big Valley. He did have, you know, he was a regular on a series before this one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he did the other another series after this, The Fall Guy. So he he was, like, well-known in Hollywood. When you had your Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman dolls, did you play along with the show, or did you play it separate with the show? Um, yeah, I did it separately. I never thought about doing it with the show. <laughs> I mean, when you're watching this show, like, cause I always wanted to just sit there and watch it and concentrate on it. <laughs> I mean, I like playing it with the show too, though. I just oh, thought, okay. Like, I sometimes look through his eye and then watch the show through his eye. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Some points that were brought out here. 
Uh, it's typecasting. Majors is a clean-cut, all-American type married to the perfect wife, Farrah Fawcett Majors, who combined the woman's movement and her husband's idea one of the first hyphenated lady stars in Hollywood when she and Majors were married in 1970. Now she has made fairly regular appearances on her husband's program. This year, as a co-star on her own series, Charlie's Angels, we will see her only once on The Six Million Dollar Man. Now, remember that first episode with Farrah Fawcett on Six Million Dollar Man? Yes. That was a good one. Her it, it was. And they had, yeah, they were kind of interested in each other, but they didn't make it like, like the two of them were going to get married on the show or anything. Now, you're a big Charlie's Angels fan. What would you mm-hmm. think about her character there? It was good, and to me it was still... Yeah, I guess she was, she was actually a little bit smarter there than she was on Charlie's Angels. But, um, you know, there, there was a, like one of those TV mockumentary movies that they made about Charlie's Angels where they had, they had different actresses playing the angels, but it was playing, they were playing the actresses actually, but they made the character, the actresses actually kind of like their characters on TV. But what I remember though, Farrah Fawcett, and they had, they had someone else playing Lee Majors, um, Oh, it's the guy Ben Broder that's the star of Farscape. But on that movie, though, they made it look like Lee Majors is a real jerk. It it said that he made her leave Charlie's Angels because he was jealous of her success and all that. Hmm. But, you know, I just, I wonder about that. But I know it that was a movie where they were trying to make the angels look good. So you don't know how true that was. And we saw Lee Majors uh, at Dragon Con, and he Both. he was pretty nice. He yeah, and, and Bonnet Woman. Yeah, and Lindsay, Lindsay Wagner, Wagner, yes. They still have wonderful chemistry together. Like, when I saw them come on stage, it was just, it was exciting. There, there was energy in the air because they yeah, hardly appeared yeah. together. He goes on to talk about the uh, behind the scenes, and I always found this interesting about Starlog is learning more about behind the scenes things. And he talks about sometimes you feel like an idiot, and the crew can't help standing around and snickering. You hit a wall and it doesn't give, or a fake iron bar and it doesn't bend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for these kind of shows, they must have had so many problems with, with props, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm bionic, I can bend this. Oops, no, it doesn't bend. <laughs> <laughs> Great photo of Andre the Giant. Yeah, Steve with Andre the Giant, Bigfoot. And you said that your parents, were it your parents that told you that was Andre the Giant? When yes, they did, yes. How did How did that go? I mean, I just thought it was neat that it was him. Yeah, when they said Andre the Giant, I knew who he was because I watched wrestling with my parents back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the magazine ends out with a word search, a crossword puzzle. But, but they're all sci-fi oriented, too. Yeah, totally. And classified information. Classified such as complete sci-fi horror catalog, UFO t-shirts, from original photograph, first quality silk screen, $5 each. And how about the old dark house, a fanzine covering the world of horror? Are we alone? Do you believe? Send 25 cents for brochure <laughs> to World okay. of the Unexplained Museum, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We should still see if that's in effect. Mm-hmm. 600 Parkway, next time we go to Gatlinburg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But it's neat. It was, yeah, it was 25 cents. Okay. Uh, visions. It wraps up the last article of real world science. And this was interesting too, because I read some of the science articles in Starlog too. They were fun. And this one about, about Pluto. Very nice to 
And then back cover, Kiss Rock and Roll Over. Bill Coyne knew that Kiss would appeal to sci-fi, comic book, and fantasy fans. So they end up advertising with Starlog. Colonel Steve Austin, the six million dollar man, and the new Bionic Transport and Repair Station. The rocket's crashing! We put him in the Bionic Repair Station. We can rebuild it. We'll replace the modules in the Bionic Arm. No injury here. We'll have to check his eye. Bionic Eye, A-OK. Six million dollar man, ready for action. New Bionic Transport and Repair Station sold separately. The six million dollar man, new from Kenner. Now we go into Starlog Magazine, issue number four. Cover date, March 1977. $1.50 cover price. New sci-fi movie in 3D. Fantastic color photos. Interview Nick Tate of Space 1999. The Outer Limits, behind-the-scenes story. Rare photos, complete episode guide. New column by David Gerald. Frederick Brown's Arena, illustrated short story and photos from Czech version. Latest news, books, records, puzzles, films, letters, and robots. Special personal interview, Richard Anderson, Oscar Goldman of The Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman. And it's a beautiful painting on the cover of Richard Anderson with The Bionic Man and Bionic Woman. Jack Thurston artwork. What do you think about this issue? Oh, I love this one. And I love the cover of this one too. Um Beautiful this one cover. has a bionic cover. Interesting they made they made um Oscar's face they made they made, they showed his face and made it big and Steve and Jamie has their whole bodies and they're smaller. <laughs> Which totally makes sense since there's gonna be an interview with Richard Anderson. So I mean I like it how it's framed. They they had the two smaller bodies frame his face. From the bridge. David Houston, Editor-in-Chief, writes, Dear Reader, This issue contains some important firsts for Starlog. David Gerald article. Uh, he's going to be a regular columnist. First two-part article in work of fiction. The big article in 3D movies in general and Fantastic Invasion of Planet Earth in particular introduce... So vast a topic that we have chosen to present in our next issue, a separate but related illustrated history of 3D film techniques. It started in 1889. We've had very great many requests for fiction, so we decided that we will, from time to time, present significant works that have influenced movies and or TV. And of course, there's more. Two in-person interviews, one with Richard Anderson, who plays Oscar Goldman, and one with Nick Tate, who patterns his portrayal of Adam Carter after himself, and an indispensable article and full filmography of The Outer Limits. This, I immodestly submit, is a dynamic issue of Starlog. You would agree with that? Yes. We have an advertisement for Circus Magazine, which... I loved reading that when and I was the, a teenager. And the title of the ad is Rip Us Off? Or is that, that's the name of the magazine? Uh, no, Rip This Out. <laughs> rip <laughs> so it's this a coupon. Out. <laughs> yeah, it's a coupon. Twice the news at half the price. So Circus was kind of cool because it had rock articles, but it also had pop culture articles. Things like King Kong had Kiss articles in there. 
John Travolta, Star Trek. It just had a whole bunch of stuff in it. It was entertainment news. Totally. So, log entries. Latest news from the worlds of science fiction. Sci-fi resurgence in comics. Advertising and promoting unknown worlds in science fiction. Star Reach. A variety of comic books that are having more of a sci-fi element to it. Which, we love looking at those in our collection. Yeah, they're they're still great to read. I mean, and and the imagination even back then was was still different. It was really good. Return of the Manimals. American International is in the process of remaking HGL Gothic horror tale, The Island of Doctor Morrow. Hugo Award winners talks about the Hugo Awards. Well, I mean, they still give the Hugo Awards now. It's at the World Science Fiction Convention every year. They still announce them. And I think it was actually on. I know I happened to catch it on TV one time. I've never seen I think, that on TV, I, really. I think it was. The, it was some kind of sci-fi awards. Mark Hamill was the was the host. Oh, wow. Yeah, someone filmed it for TV one year. Coming in February, David Gerald's novel, A Moonstone Odyssey, will be released. Star Wars Paperback Scoops Movie. Star Wars from a... The Adventures of Luke Skywalker by George Lucas has been published by Valentine. Lucas is the producer of the $7 million 20th Century Fox film, which is due to be released sometime late in 1977. The story concerns a galaxy-wide civil war in which Luke Skywalker becomes involved via a holographic distress message from the beautiful Senator Leia, who is being held captive by the evil Dark Lord, Darth Vader. Luke's crackerjack skills as a pilot thrust him headlong into confrontations with murderous space pirates, hostile alien beings, and finally, he finds himself involved in a spectacular space battle with the planet-sized enemy battle station known as the Death Star. Still to come from Lucas are the concluding volumes of Star Wars and the making of Star Wars, a behind-the-scenes look at how the picture was made. Now, can you imagine that? So, the cover date here is March, so obviously this magazine came out a little bit sooner. Can you imagine the novelization of a Star Wars movie coming out months before the actual movie? Like, that's wild I mean, to consider yeah. that. Well, and, and it's amazing read, reading that description of the movie, because if I was going to write a description of Star Wars, that's not exactly what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, but, yeah, yeah, it's neat to go back and read these, and you're going, wow, that's just, you know... They, they don't really make it sound as exciting there, but they still, I mean, they make it look like, yeah, you want to see it, but, but not for, for those reasons exactly. Billion Days from Bantam. From Bantam comes this month's Frederick Paul selection, A Billion Days of Earth, about strange inhabitants of the Earth of one million years hence. Capricorn One, Space Drama Twist. ITC begins production in January on a new film called Capricorn One, written and directed by Peter Hamus. The cast is filled with big-name stars from film and TV. Elliot Gould, Brenda Vaccaro, Telly Savalas, Hal Holbrook, O.J. Simpson. That's another one I don't remember. <laughs> I don't either. Classics and future classics from Berkeley. 
and it's more about books that are going to be released, reissues. We can tell during this time the uh, paperback books were huge among sci-fi fans because there's a lot of discussion and a lot of talk about new and old books. And, and because that was, I mean, that was just a, a large part of sci-fi back then. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, nowadays you can be into sci-fi and never have read any of the books. Back, but back then, I mean, I think the people who watched uh, watched it on TV and movies were also interested in the books. It was pretty much required reading uh, among sci-fi fans. I remember going to a talk with David Gerald saying, like, if you went to sci-fi fiction conventions, uh, science fiction conventions during that time, people would say, did you read the new Ray Bradbury book? Did you like that was now there's 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 so much science fiction it's segmented. Yeah, now you can you can break up fandom into different parts mm-hmm. of sci fi. Because it's impossible to take it all in. It's just R- there's right, not enough yeah. hours in the day. Bits and pieces. Universal Pictures is set to do a big budget remake of the minor classic Incredible Shrinking Man. The Harry Saltzman film The Micronauts. Started in December. Started filming in December. New World Pictures is wrapping up work on Death Sport 2020. Now that the filming is well underway, the complete cast of The Deep has been announced. Robert Shaw, Nick Nolte, Jacqueline Bissett, Lou Gossett. Um, More movies that are listed. Quite a few, actually. Half Beast. New one out from Japan. Godzilla. Versus the Bionic Monster. <laughs> we have an ad for original science fiction posters, a Star Trek one, and one called Invaders from Mars. Full theatrical one sheet, only $3, plus 60 cents postage. Newsflash. New film company to re-release science fiction classics. In the event that you have missed some of the... Films made during science fiction great boom in the 50s don't give up hope. A gentleman named Wade Williams from Kansas City, Missouri, has been actively collecting and buying up old negatives of these classics with an idea of re-releasing them to theaters around the country. And this article talks about re-releasing 50s movies and that in the was, 70s. Yeah, that was interesting too because this is about like, like one guy just decided to do this. So he was so like the Ted Turner yeah. of his time. Yes. Right? I guess that's that's the closest I could think of. And he's just he's just trying to collect all these and and I think update them in some way and re release them. Uh Rocket Ship XM, Man from Planet X, Invaders from Mars, lots of color photographs. Did that become a big thing though? Do you remember in the seventies the re release in movie theaters of fifties movies? No, I don't remember it much. I've never heard of it being the only thing, thing I remember is like you know, like Disney movies being re-released. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. State of the Art, a column of opinion by David Gerald. Now, you said when you subscribed to Starlog, you loved these articles and you look forward to his columns. Yes, I always liked David Gerald's columns in Starlog. I thought that they were very intellectual and informative. Even when he did, like you know, like a movie review, it was still very, um, very insightful. And I really liked him, you know, better for this than I did, you know, just as the writer of The Trouble with Tribbles. I mean, that was a good episode of Star Trek, but this, but, you know, this was just a very intelligent uh, column that he had in Starlog, and I always enjoyed it. He starts off by saying the most useless job in the world is that of a critic. That is a prejudice statement. I admit it. I'm prejudiced. 
I hate critics. There's a logical reason for me to hate critics. But despite the logic behind it, I still hate critics because of good, old-fashioned, downright, petty prejudice. Yeah, this was neat. He talks about, what was it, the difference between critics and, what was the other word he used? Yeah, the difference between critics and reviewers, and he hates critics. Of course, he's, you know, he's a writer. He's been a victim of a lot of critics. But I did like he brings this out, that the motion picture medium is uniquely suited for science fiction. Film is manipulative reality. The filmmaker creates illusions of alternate realities, and if you believe them, you believe the most basic illusion of all, that the picture you are watching is really moving when it's only a series of stills projected past your eye 24 frames per second. You believe those images. You believe the actors are really the characters they are portraying. You believe that they are saying these words as a result of their own internal motivations. I mean, these are the type of things that we say that that's why we love science fiction films so much is because of how we're drawn in, at least the best quality ones. Yeah, he, he, he nails it here. We, I mean, yeah, we, we do, we, when you're, when you're watching the movie, you get caught up in it. You do, I mean, if it's a good movie, you know, but the actors, yeah, you think the actor really is the character. And his, so he called, um, the name of the column is State of the Art. I know he changed it a couple of times throughout the years. So this is what it was in his first issue. He called it State of the Art. Oh, oh, and of course, and and I love how, like, the editor always had to say, well, David Gerald's opinion is his own now. It's not necessarily <laughs> the, the opinions of Starlog, which, you know, which means, I mean, yeah, he was controversial sometimes, which is good. He was, you know, he wasn't afraid to, to do that. Also, we have a listing of future conventions, such as LunaCon in Brooklyn, New York, WesterCon in Vancouver, British Columbia, SunCon in Orlando, Florida. Yes, and I and I always looked at the locations, and and of course there was never anything in my area, <laughs> yeah. but I always looked. <laughs> so it, it takes fourteen pages to get into the letter column. Oh, that's right. Because in a lot of uh, yeah, in later issues they started putting the letters column closer to the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but here back then they weren't doing that. More. Letters asking for Space 1999 coverage. Interesting. Listen to this. Daniel Angel from Clarksville, Tennessee. As far as I know, none of Tennessee receives any of the Space 1999 shows. I would like to know if our local stations could telecast the 1999 shows, and if so, how we would go about contacting the necessary persons to do it. If you could do this, I'm sure all of Tennessee would be grateful. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's write to Starlog and have them control our TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> and then, listeners, they gave a reasonable response of organize your friends, contact the independent stations, write them, call them, send petitions. And they even gave the distributor of ITC in New York. Like, they really gave some helpful information on how to do this. Which yeah, that I is love good. that yes. Starlog, you can tell that it wasn't just a, we're going to produce a magazine and sell magazines. The people behind Starlog cared about science fiction and cared about science fiction fandom. They actually uh, gave a response like, well, well, here's how you do it. I mean, they didn't say like, well, why do you think we can do anything about it? They actually said, you know, what can be done? And I know somewhere they were, there was a, there was some kind of letter that talked about like, don't use the term sci-fi. 
That's so crazy. Yes. Wait, and, and yeah, because, you know, like it's coming back to me. Yeah, it, it was a big deal back then. You were supposed to say science fiction, not sci-fi. Sort of like the difference between Trekkie and Trekker. <laughs> I mean, like one is considered an insult and, and the other one is not. <laughs> well, they make a good point. Everyone on our staff has been an enthusiastic fan of science fiction for eons, and no one here finds the slang abbreviation offensive. Does the term TV offend people in that field? Does the term con offend you when used instead of a convention? Yeah, I just view that view it as a shortened form. That never that, that's me. true, yeah. And 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 of course now I mean no one you know no one now knows that there used to be a problem with it. Now we have the sci fi channel and, and they spell it sci fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. Uh, Starlog questionnaire. I think this is fantastic that they're looking for reader feedback to make sure that they have articles about the things that, that were important to people. Starlog interview. Richard Anderson. Oscar Goldman. Great article about him. This is a nice interview. Yeah. Oh, 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 first of all, okay, Richard Anderson is not to be confused with Richard Dean Anderson. He played MacGyver. Okay. <laughs> Which I never got confused with, but okay. <laughs> Just had to say that, okay? So Richard Anderson, and he was, you know, actually on two shows, which was unusual back then, mm-hmm. um, Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman. And, of course, when I was watching those two shows, I never really thought about it. Like, oh, it's the same guy. Yeah, Oscar is on both but shows. But it made sense. It yes, totally made yes. sense. And I liked how they had crossovers. I liked that, how it was interconnected. The crossovers were always fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, but he was on both show week after week. I knew he was tall because he was towering over everyone in the show. It says that he's six foot three. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on to his personal life, how he likes being active, riding bikes, playing tennis. He was born in Long Beach, New Jersey, to a wealthy family who lost their money during the 1929 star- stock market. Nope. But he went on to be an actor, and it, it paid off. He was on Broadway, so he had a successful career before going on to television. And I know he, he started doing cons later in life before he passed yes. away, but I never got to see him. But, yeah, he's someone I always wanted to see in person. And he goes into talking about how acting with uh, Lee Majors is different than acting with Lindsay Wagner. How the shows had a different feel, and even though he was the same character, he it was more lighthearted dealing with Lindsay, and he was more serious dealing with Steve. That's interesting. You you could kind of see how like because on um, Six Million Dollar Man, it does seem like Steve was um, was much more serious, intense. Yeah, yeah. But he was, you know, he's a, he was a mentor to to both of them, and. Um, and you know, and a friend, which I love that he was the, he was their boss, but he was also their friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great chemistry there, no doubt about it. Now we have an article: science fiction movies in 3D. We know this became popular in the 50s. The first science fiction movie that I ever saw in 3D was *Revenge of the Creature*. Growing up in New England, I remember when this was big deal in the 80s they would talk about it on tv 38 which was a boston station about the creature is coming get your 3d glasses at stop and shop so stop and shop was a chain of grocery stores 
at that time, the stores were only about 10, 12 aisles long. Uh, they were literally just grocery stores. Now you go up there and they're all, they sell everything. They're called super stop and shops. But the point was, I remember being excited going to the grocery mm-hmm. store with my grandfather, getting my 3D glasses. I thought it was like a new thing. Yeah, like you never bought saw... your glasses before you saw the movie. And it was at, at it, yeah, but it was on TV. Oh, okay. It was on okay. TV, but, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that Wait a second. There's tons of 3D movies. I, I don't think I ever saw them on TV, but but now and you know and the the old 3D movies were different than what we call a 3D movie now. Very different. So 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 the ones that you bought, those glasses were the was it the green and the red? The blue and red. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The one one lens My was blue and one was and he red. Sent them to me. The oh, okay. The glasses that we had as kids. Yeah. It's like you could wear them for for eclipse glasses or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. That so. The the 3D back then was just looking at the the through the glasses and what each lens was a different color. Yes. I, I had some 3D posters and it was like that. Oh, yeah, 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 the yeah, posters yeah, yeah. came with the with the young with their glasses, That's so right. you could just look at them that way. So do you remember seeing any 3D movies? I mean, I I didn't see them until like until like Disney had them at Epcot, oh, and yeah, at that yeah. time the 3D glasses looked like sunglasses. That's right. So that like was Captain a different yeah yes. a different style then. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, this goes on to say the the reason for it, and it makes sense, and it, it talks about it came from outer space, uh, all these classic 50s movies, is because television was becoming such a big deal in American homes in the 1950s that the movie studios felt that they needed to compete with teenagers watching television. So the gimmick was make science fiction movies and horror movies 3D. And that will bring him into the movie theaters because they weren't having the 3D experience at home. But it was a short-lived thing. Uh, well, people, they, they did start having it at home, though, as you within said. Within time yeah. they did, yeah, yeah the, when, when, they, when they had the repeats. But it's one of the problems that because of that dual lens thing, it, it bothered some people's eyes. Some people had a problem putting it over their glasses. I mean, it's a novelty. Yes. We realize it as such. I remember a couple of years ago, me and Jamie went to see a movie. It was probably one of the Avengers movies, and the only tickets they had left were the 3D ones. Oh, and the I, more expensive yeah, yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had to pay extra for it, but I'll tell you what. Halfway during the movie, I just wanted to watch a regular movie. Like I just I loved 3D movies as a kid. Like you said, posters. Uh, posters were, were exciting. Comic books. I remember having some Star Wars 3D comics. It, it, it was a kind of a neat novelty as a kid. I, I just don't like it as much as an adult. What do you think about 3D movies? Um, I, I mean, I can do without it, really. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it does kind of look neat, but then, but if you, like, now that we've seen enough of them, it's like, it, you know, it's not a novelty anymore, mm-hmm. and you don't want to pay extra for it. And I mean, I you know, and I have heard of some people who who really can't watch them because mm. they get headaches and things. Yeah. So yeah, I think they yeah they're the they're not around as much. That. Yeah, the yeah. article talks about that. There there are some people that have severe adversity to it, but also it talks about and I never really thought about it how difficult it is to produce a movie like this because you have to have both cameras. They need multiple cameras, and they have to have everything synced in such a way that. 
the post-production work is not worth the the extra time in it for the return of investment. Yes, and they said sometimes they just they they were going to do a movie in 3D and decided to just do it regular because it was mm-hmm. too much trouble and couldn't get the cameras and all that. But it's here, this creature from the Black Lagoon. Great. I mean, I love how Star-Lord reproduces these classic movie posters. And then it has a filmography of 3D movies of the 1950s. And interesting, it breaks them down by studios. So RKO, Columbia, Paramount, Universal. Yeah, like I don't know why anybody would care about that. Yeah, I wonder no, if the, they break maybe it down the this studios way. had to wanted it to be done that way. That's curious. So if we look at this list, the largest one was probably Warner Brothers. Now it says Dial M for Murder with an asterisk. I love Dial M for Murder, so that was one that they backed away from. House of Wax. Oh, that was excellent in 3D though. Advertisement for the High Frontier photographs that you could mail away for. Star teasers, a King Kong word search, lots of pictures of King Kong. Arena by Frederick Brown, great story with a massive Star Trek tie-in, so we'll talk about that in the next episode of Star Pod Trek. Interview with Nick Tate, Alan Carter. Nick Tate, who plays Moonbase Alpha's chief eagle pilot, Alan Carter, was born in a trunk. His grandmother and grandparents were both opera singers. His grandfather was vaudevillian, and both his parents were actors. His show business career followed naturally and began at a fairly early age. Back in the 60s, Nick appeared in many Australian television series and built himself quite a good reputation. Interestingly enough, he didn't get his start in front of the cameras, but behind them in television production. What did you think about this article? This was good. I mean, I like him as, as an actor. I know I've seen him on different things. He was actually on Star Trek as well. But, but yeah, on um, on Space 1999, he was added the second season, right? It was good. And he was, Great yeah. color photos. And it talked about how he was able to add himself into the character. And... Being Australian, I didn't realize he was Australian. No, I didn't either. I mean, that's interesting too, yeah. New books, posters, and prints. So there's advertisements for posters, 350 each. They're kind of like general sci-fi posters. Next article, The Inner Mind of the Outer Limits. The monster boom of the early 60s seems to have been triggered by Famous Monsters of Filmland, an independent juvenile magazine, which preceded a new spate of low-budget scary movies and, in turn, sent kids to the hobby shops for monster kits, department stores for monster clothes and accessories, school supply counters for ghoulish lunchbox, and the like. Wait, so you could go to a regular department store and buy a monster costume? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta think. I gotta think. I mean, I didn't go to a specialty shop to get my model kits. It was a well, child, model it was a kits, child yeah. world. It was a child world. Model kits were probably sold at, like in the toy department. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally were. Yeah, but that's what they're saying. It was at. Yeah, it was at a department store. Yeah. Oh, for the and, costumes, and, and, and hobby shops. For the, well, I mean, for yeah. costumes around Halloween time, you know those mm-hmm. like Ben Cooper costumes. 
They had a Frankenstein one when I was a kid. I mean, they had, yeah, around Halloween, yeah, they had had those costumes. you got to figure in the 60s, because it talks about the 60s. That's before our time, but that was the big thing, right? Before the science fiction boom of the 70s, it was famous monsters monsters of Filmland. Yeah, Starlog took over that niche. Article goes on to say the television networks, always sensitive to trends of the moment, hope to cash in. On CBS, Twilight Zone was already making oblique contributions to the monster craze with its literate eeriness. And so it talks about how the Outer Limits was developed. And Outer Limits was more, it was more on the monster side. You know, uh, Twilight Zone didn't have as many of the monsters. That's right. Some, and, and Outer Limits tend to have a limited amount of writers. You had oftentimes the same writer over and over again. They didn't pull from literary talent, with the exception of Harlan Ellison. Well, well but yeah, that that's strange because they still had good, you know, you know, sci-fi horror type episodes. Discussing the themes of the show, the article goes on. Somewhere the viewer must see himself, and while he may see himself or part of himself in the monster, he will resist and lose interest unless we provide him with the real and human and recognizable hero figure or non-hero figure as the case may be and I mean, these sci-fi anthology shows i enjoy them i mean i really didn't like what i know these I were on in up, reruns yeah. i didn't grow up with this because twilight zone was in constant reruns outer limits wasn't so i wasn't able to watch outer limits till i was an adult and able to get tapes of them which yeah, I do remember that, that I heard of Twilight Zone first. That one was more popular. Oh, by far. And then it was, popular. yeah, it was when I got older that I heard of Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. And then we have a complete episode guide to the Outer Limits. And they also said here that they tried to make it kind of look like foreign films, too. I guess Which to, to make I it thought look was different. interesting that the article said that, that they used the foreign film uh, formula for cinematography. I'm not one to. I don't have that eye to see the difference, so I can't comment either way. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know exactly what yeah, but like what what they meant, but it just seemed, but it's like, so they were, tr- but they were trying to do something that was a different style. Great photographs here, uh, color and black and white in the episode guide. The Xanti misfits. Yeah, that the ones the one that had these giant ants. Of course, they weren't giant, but but What'd compared to of, other ants, what did you yeah. Think about that episode. <laughs> It, it was pretty good, yeah, um, because what was it that the, these aliens were were um, sending their their criminals to Earth to be put in a prison, mm-hmm. and and then we find out that well, I mean the the humans wound up killing the aliens because they they were a threat to us, mm-hmm. but then we find out the alien the aliens had always intended for us to kill the the criminal aliens that landed on the planet because they knew we were just violent enough to kill them but the other but they they couldn't kill their own people but they knew that we would be able to kill them yeah so great, it was great yeah. stills great stills in here and it breaks down the writers too because we always like looking who the writers are here's the one that uh, that I was thinking of that's a constant writer is this Joseph Stefano See his name quit listed quite Wasn't a lot. he the person that was interviewed in, mm-hmm. in the article part? Yeah, he was he one of the producers or something? Yes. Because I know I kept seeing that name too, yes. Yeah, yep, yep. So like Joseph Stefano was to Outer Limits as what Rod Sterling, Sterling was to Twilight Zone. And we know Rod Sterling wrote a lot of the episodes of Twilight Zone. 
So this, unfortunately, this series only lasted a year and a half. But it's a great reference point. Classifieds. Here's some classifieds. Color catalog of slides, posters, stills, etc. Send $1 to Langley Associates. Selling comic books, Disney, Hero, and Sci-Fi Pulps. Sci-Fi and Horror Mags. James Bond, Diana Rigg, Star Trek, Radio Giveaways, Movie Press Books, Posters, Lobby Cards, Photos, Books, etc. I mean, I have to see Rogowski. it. Rogowski? Yeah, Rogowski. Yeah. Yep, that's it. No first name, that's just it. Uh, Starlog Wants, Rare Color Slides, Chromes of Early Sci-Fi Movies, Especially George Powell, Professional Sci-Fi Illustrations, TV Shows, etc. Send detailed list, include condition, whether for loan or for sale. Visions, final article. Robots, fact and fancy. So the robotic field, it talks about how NASA is using robotics and how robotics would be the future of society. And and they, they do, yeah, it's still come a long way now. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long and may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. During the whole lockdown around the world, Enterprise is having a surge in popularity. I don't know if you've seen it. That's what I've been hearing. It's crazy, like the Facebook groups, Twitter, everyone is talking about Enterprise. And I didn't realize so many Trek fans had never even watched it. It's nuts. People call themselves lifelong Trekkies who never watched it and are loving it now. I said to someone a week or two ago, I said, look, I'm so glad that you're finally getting around to watching it and enjoying it. But where were you guys <laughs> 15 years ago yeah. when we needed did you when the show was on the edge and then ultimately got cancelled loading hollow sweet preview program for starbase one a star trek online podcast i don't really think that's a good idea i order you to do it right now warning the structural integrity field has collapsed this is admiral quinn you will be assigned to starbase one welcome to starbase one I'm Colin. I'm Admiral Aaron. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Tom. Starbase One is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.